This is episode number 227 with data science influencer Sarah Nuravi. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And today I've got a very exciting and fun and positive episode prepared for you. I just got off the phone with Sarah Nuravi, and I definitely don't think that I've had this many laughs of, on an episode of this podcast before. It was lots of fun and be prepared for a very, very energetic and positive episode. And what you need to know about Sarah is that she's a data science influencer with tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn. And uh, Sarah inspires the data science community through her articles, webinars, mentorship, meetups, and many other ways that Sarah engages in the community. She inspires data scientists to constantly learn and grow in their careers. And in this podcast, we talked about three main things. First of all, Sarah's background and how she got into the space of data science in the first place. Be prepared for some very peculiar detours here, starting from the world of culinary and becoming a chef and going all the way to the world of nuclear fusion. Then after that, we talked about a specific case study or a specific use case of data science in Sarah's current role. And you'll find out how data science can and is used uh, for marketing of mobile applications. Very uh, interesting case study and I'm very excited for you guys to check it out and find out, uh, get a glimpse into this world. And finally, in the third part of this podcast, we talked about diversity in data science and what we as a community can do to help inspire everybody, regardless of their gender or ethnicity, to be successful data scientists. So there we go. We've got a very exciting podcast coming up ahead. Can't wait for you to check it out. And without further ado, I bring to you data science influencer, Sarah Nuravi. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show today. And we've got a very special guest joining us from Irvine, California, Sarah Nuravi. Sarah, how are you going today? Very good, Kirill. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm super excited. And um, it was really cool meeting you at Data Science Go. Uh, we were just chatting about this before. Um, how we were like, I think the first time we bumped into each other when we were putting those stickers under the chairs, completely yep. not expecting, you know, I wasn't even expecting to do that. Uh, but yeah, thanks for a lot for helping out. I think it was a fun night we had that, you know, with, with all those stickers under the chairs to facilitate the conference. It was really appreciated. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. How, um, just in, in a brief recap, I know we chatted about this just now, but just for the sake of our audience, what do you think of Data Science Go? Um, yeah, so I think it was a very, very, um, it was a very well put together event. 
Um, I think my initial, like my initial thoughts were like, wow, like the map that we had in the very, very front when you come, um, it's very, and it's, it's a super impactful like moment when you realize that you're bringing people from all around the world to come to this event, to meet each other, to network, to be a part of something, uh, really big, you know? Um, so I think overall, uh, I think. I want to give it to you for putting together such a great event, Thank for you. bringing up the energy, for um, like basically getting people excited to get into a space that you know is is not that easy, right? So mm. it's not it's it, it's not that easy to break into it, and so having that supportive community that's going to help you, whether it's through you know networking and jobs, or whether it's through resources or support or mentorship. Um, having that community to to lean on is is super important. So, um, props to you for for bringing people from all around the world and 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 creating such a successful event. Thank you, thank you, and uh, definitely right back at you because couldn't have done it without you guys. Like we had uh, quite a few influencers there, and as you pointed out correctly just before the podcast, that we really leverage this community that already exists on LinkedIn of data scientists. And thank you so much for your shout outs and, you know, Tari, also Eric, Randy, Fabio, um, your shout outs on LinkedIn to get everybody excited about the event. I think in overall it was really cool. And, um, and the diversity, right? The, the, that is like a part that we're very proud of that we had, you know, a, um, abnormal for this industry percentage of women or minorities represented at the conference. I think that is also to do with the community that you guys have built up as influencers in the space. So once again, thank you for supporting the event and making it all possible, making it all happen. Of course, of course. Thank you. All right. Well, today we're talking about your journey in the space of data science and uh, your career, what you've done. And I would want to start off with uh, something I noticed on your LinkedIn, which is really cool and sounds to me like it's your personal motto, uh, question everything, answer with data. That mm -hmm. is such a powerful statement. How did that come to be? That uh, yeah, actually, so I was thinking about it because Eric had a good one. Uh, shoot, I forget yeah. what his Eric was now. Weber, right? Yeah, Eric Weber had a good one and he kept getting called out for it. So I was like, oh, okay, I need to come up with a good one too. <laughs> And, I, think, uh, I think his is I learn every day. I learn every day. Yes, that's what it is. And mm. so, um, yeah, so I was like, okay, so what is it that I do on a daily basis, right? So he learns every day. And I was like, wow, I, I, I res that resonates with me too. But I'll just copy it. You should have just copied it. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> should I just take it? <laughs> uh, but I was like, what, what do I do? And, and we kind of, I was kind of thinking about it and I was like, you know, like I question everything, you know, everything has to come down to like a logical, like, um, question and answer, like, okay, but why are you doing this? Why is that happening? Like, let's get to the root of the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, especially in businesses and, and even in like personal relationships, right? Like it, it comes down to like, okay, well, historically what has been going on? How can we answer this with data? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I feel like it, it falls right into my personality and my day to day. And what I love to do is just be inquisitive, be curious, and then, um, don't let, you know, people's like just gut or their, um, in instincts lead what strategy ends up happening or what decisions get made, but let that be based on something, uh, tangible, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Data is tangible. Actions are tangible. So. Um, 
so yeah, I think it fell right into to place, and so I like it. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. That's that's a very apt way of putting it, and totally agree. You gotta you gotta use data to answer all those questions. Sometimes, though, interestingly, I was speaking to Vitali, my mentor, and sometimes he says that even as a consultant, he sometimes uses he relies on his heart as a separate entity for answering questions sometimes you can call it gut feel you can call it like following your heart but sometimes even like if the data doesn't align with what his heart is saying sometimes you'll follow his heart what are your thoughts on that that's a bit a bit of a controversial uh comment there yeah that is especially when you deal with uh stakeholders who want the data to only mimic what they want Mm -hmm. what their heart is telling them or what their gut is telling them and they only feel good or it's like a reassurance of like oh well when the data matches what my gut is saying then okay you know i'm i'm good but when it doesn't then i'm gonna basically argue with you until it (laughs) matches what i want and um so yeah, it, it's it's a little controversial. I think that especially on the the like, let's say from the an- analyst side, you have to have a hypothesis of what you think the data is going to mm-hmm. tell you, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's how you're going to approach the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the stakeholders' standpoint, they're going to question everything you do and everything you say until it kind of aligns with what they want it to say, which is good, you know, like. <laughs> Um, you know, depending on who you're working with, uh, it, it just depends on the scenario, but that, that one's, that one's a hard one. I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully the data is the most objective way that you answer any question. Right. So you would hope that, you know, if you're, if the data is vetted and you know where it's coming from, it's clean properly. Um, the way it's being collected is, is, is vetted. And then your approach is, is sound, then really you should be trusting the data. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least you can modify a little bit of what your gut is telling you to kind of align. And, and you know, what's funny though, um, we as humans can convince ourselves of anything, right? Have you heard of this Mm. where, you know, like the data could be, you know, you could come up with research or data that tells you one story and maybe initially you don't agree with it, but then you can rationalize it. Oh, okay. Yes. It's saying this because of X, Y, Z but then later discover something wrong with the data and it tells you to, like you come to the 180 degree mm. different conclusion and then you're like, oh, okay, but I also see how that could be, you know? Yeah, 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 totally, I totally know what you mean, yeah. yeah it's... It, it's very interesting, right? Um, how us as humans, like we can take what the data is telling us and come up with a story as to why it is this way or the other way, so. Yeah. Yeah, had that had that in my life. It's kind of similar to the placebo effect, right? When you're uh-huh. when you're yep. given medicine and you're told that it will, you know, help you with your high blood pressure or you know whatever else, and in reality, it's actually not real medicine. It's just uh, just an empty capsule. But your brain like creates a story for itself and convinces yeah. itself on a psych- on a physiological level even to mm-hmm. you know lower the blood pressure and whatnot. Interesting, interesting. Um, okay, well, uh, Sarah, tell us, uh, for the benefit of our listeners who don't know you yet, which is um, probably, like, I would say there's a lot of our listeners who do know you. You're a, a major influencer in the space of data science with thousands, tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn. But for, for those, of those of our listeners who haven't met you yet, uh, can you give us a quick uh, overview? What is it that you do and um, how did you get into the space of data science? 
Sure. So, um, yeah, I never know how to answer this question. So um, I like to start from the very beginning, which is which is maybe too far back. But my <laughs> when, when you were born, <laughs> it's it's because it, it's interesting, right? Like, I mean, um, you talk to people and their their journeys into how they ended up where, especially into this field of data science is so, so vastly different. And mine started um, actually without even uh, a desire to be in anything um, technical. I actually really, really aspired to be a chef growing up. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to go to culinary school. You couldn't be further and... away from being a chef <laughs> yeah. by being in data science. But I, I, it was a really big passion of mine at the time when I was younger. Um, and, you know, once I realized that that was not going to be the direction I would go, I really fell into my love of um, mathematics and just logic in general. Hold on, hold on. You, you just like skipped a whole, I don't know, massive part of your life story. What, when did I, you realize that it's not the path you're going to go down? Okay. Do you want to know the truth? truth always, <laughs> of course. Well, because so um, there were a few colleges around me that offered um, like culinary uh, like programs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one when I realized what the curriculum and this is actually very interesting when you start talking about your passion for anything in life. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to do the the dirty stuff before you get to the most exciting Mm. stuff? So the first classes that they wanted me to take were about like sanitation. (laughs) And I was like, why? (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I was like, no, I just want to start learning how to cook cool things and the art, the creative side and the artistic side and the different flavors and this and that. And so that part of it just completely turned me off. And I was Mm. like, no. And I I guess I didn't have anyone around me that was going to push me in that direction anyways. It was going to be 100% my own motivation into it. And I just, I was like, I fell off the cliff right there. Wow. I was like, okay. That's crazy. Actually, I heard that about chefs. I, I read an article once. I think it was about Jiro Ono, which, who is the uh, top sushi chef in Japan. And mm-hmm. uh, basically, he or whoever this article was about, one of the top chefs there about sushi, bef- when they went to learn to do sushi and they like they had this master who was teaching them how to do it, they weren't actually allowed to touch the rice for, mm-hmm. I kid you not, for 20 years. He was not what? allowed to actually touch the rice. He had to watch, <laughs> clean the place, you know, do like feel and sense everything. And now he's the best chef in, in Japan with like uh, dozens of restaurants that super highly rated. Yeah. So that's when you think about whether someone really, truly wants to do that, pursue that career or pursue a certain hobby. It's like you have to really enjoy every aspect of mm-hmm that job or of that hobby, right? Mm -hmm. Even the practicing, even just sitting around and watching other people do it, learning from other people's techniques, like doing the every aspect of that career or of that job. And so, yeah, for me, that's, that was the point that I I was like, okay, moving. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You just had to look at the curriculum to realize that moving on. (laughs) So, So then at that point, yeah, um, which, yeah, so so then I started college and I was like, where, what's the common thread of my, of what I enjoy doing, right? And it really, and honestly, when I think about how I got into really enjoying math, it was through an English class, Hmm. right? 
So in English, they teach you how to logically put together an argument, right? It's like it's very structured and it's very uh, and it's very it's a logical flow of ideas. And through that logic, like A, then B, then C, Mm -hmm. I realized my I realized that it's 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 really this underlying logic that that was a passion for me. And then I found it through mathematics. And uh, so then I studied math, econ, um, I minored in statistics. And then, um, I mean, I'm jumping ahead. I took a detour into mechanical engineering, thinking I was going to go into the renewable, uh, into the energy sector. And, oh, yeah, and it, as you do, just a casual detour into mechanical <laughs> engineering. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> this is interesting. Um, All right, well, what made you take the detour into mechanical engineering? Okay, so um, so so when I graduated, um, I really only saw myself pursuing one job, and it, it was really odd that I stuck to this one particular job that I wanted upon graduation, which was um, for a, for a company called JPAL, and. I was very excited about their mission. I was excited about what I would be doing with them. At that point, like data science wasn't really like hyped up at that point. Um, may- maybe a little bit, but it was just like it was barely trending upward. And and so I was looking for more of like um, like a, a statistician's mm-hmm. uh, job, you know, d- designing experiments um, and helping the world in general. I wanted to have an impact. And when I realized that that job was on the East Coast, um, so geographical limitations, I was like, I'm not going to move to the East Coast and mm. deal with snow. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So you, you were always in California, correct? California, yeah. Um, then I decided, well, what's the next best thing? Because I, I moved back home and, and something about me, I always enjoyed teaching and tutoring. So I took on a tutoring job. Um, yeah, I took on a tutoring job. I moved back home, took on a tutoring job. I was getting paid, you know, almost nothing. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, <laughs> what, what, what is the next best move for me? And I found through a class that I happened to take that I really enjoyed, um, like, thermodynamics. And I loved physics. And I loved, um, like, maybe my way of contributing would be through something like nuclear fusion just completely blew my mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. So you, you went from like being a chef to nuclear fusion. You're like, you're a person of extremes, aren't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, when you get excited about something, it, it really, it's, it's that, it, it's, it's that type of excitement that you can have like, oh my God, I want to have an impact and I want it to be in this, right? Yeah, yeah, like, I, I totally agree. Like I get excited about nuclear fusion every morning. I like wake up and like, nuclear fusion today. Yeah, tomorrow laser laser physics. Uh, yeah, it's just I, I, I completely get your point. It's just like the topics you pick are so out of the blue, like in, very interesting. So, okay, keep going. It's, it's, this is, this is, I'm having so much fun. This is really cool. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm being totally transparent and honest right now. So I was, I was, I was, I was um, amazed at the idea of creating a mini sun in your home, right? Uh Like that's, that was the future of nuclear fusion. And I was like, well, how do you make that a possibility? And so I started applying to master's programs in mechanical, well, 
there's a whole story about how I ended up finally deciding on mechanical that is just hilarious. Mm. But then I wanted to to marry it with public policy just because I realized that in engineering, um, I didn't end up actually studying public policy, but I feel like someone who has those two skill sets can actually make a difference because you'll realize that the way budgets in, you know, um, get split for different research projects, especially in government, um, have to do a lot with understanding public policy and relations. So, um, I realized nuclear fusion stopped getting funded at some point. I was like, well, you know, you have to have both skill sets. So, um, anyways, I ended up doing, um, I ended up finishing up my master's and then, then wait, 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 wait. Hold on, sorry. So you're not going to tell us that hilarious story about how well, you chose about... mechanical engineering? We're not letting you off the hook here. <laughs> so, I mean, because look, when you get into, when you realize you want to study engineering, that's that's part of the battle, right? Like, mm. okay, now I know I want to study engineering. Then you then you realize, so I went to, to UCLA's campus and I was like, I want to study engineering. And they were like, that's cool. What engineering? And I was like, what do you mean? How many engineerings are there? <laughs> They're like, well. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I, I didn't know there's like civil, mechanical, civil, and electrical, ele mechanical, uh, chemical, you know, any kind of thing engineering. It's like put a word, oh. put a noun and then engineering after it exists. It's crazy. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let me go back and think about it. And then I was like, okay, maybe it was civil. I didn't know how I decided on civil. I was like, civil. And then I went to the civil department and I was like, oh, so I want to, you know, apply to the master's program here. They're like, oh, that's great. What specialization? I was like, excuse me? <laughs> it keeps going. <laughs> so, so, I, so at that point, I realized I don't need to go the top down approach. I need to go the bottom up approach. Mm. I need to figure out what exactly am I trying to specialize in? Who, whose research am I? Um, am I excited about? Mm. And then I can decide, I can back out, okay, well, oh, that was mechanical the whole time, mm. you know? Because mm. um, I found uh, a professor that I, I loved her research. It was on um, solar powered power plants and, and renewable energy storage. And I was like, okay, this is exciting. I want to do this. And, um, and so I met her in, in a, in a parking lot. I talked to her when she had a flat tire. Tell us, Sarah, Sarah, how did you get a flat tire? Did you happen to do anything, have no. to do anything with that flat tire? No, right. <laughs> At the right moment. <laughs> No, I mean, but that's the thing, right? If you're excited and passionate about something and think about me, I never had any uh, um, experience in engineering at all. Like you just from my story, you can tell like how junior I was. Right. Mm -hmm. And and you see this type of the same the same thing going on with people trying to get into data science. Right. And it's this this desire of like, oh, my God, I see what I want. And then how do I get there? Right. So you have to be kind of scrappy, like <laughs> like how who are the right people that you need to connect with and talk to and show them that you're passionate and meet them in a parking lot when they have a flat tire, <laughs> like and just like go out of your way to make things happen for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to really be be ready to put in that type of effort and be gritty um, to go after it, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, to totally agree. Totally agree. And, and the best part is what I love about the way the world works is when you really like that and you really truly want something, you know, things will happen for to align in your favor. You know, flat yeah. tires will happen just at the right time when you're walking past yeah. the car park, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so, cool. So you picked uh, you picked a professor whose research you liked. I just didn't didn't realize that solar was uh, part of mechanical engineering. It is, yeah. So, um, w- uh, yeah, all of the renewable energy um, type projects fell under mechanical, mm-hmm. and so I I specialize in heat and mass transfer, which is you know mm-hmm. essentially what. What, what all the thermodynamics is, is doing. Okay, gotcha. So you, you became a researcher at UCLA in my, the mechanical engineering space. Is that correct? Um, after that, I mean, so then, then here we get to the point of, 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 you know, so many, so many people of like the job market, right? Mm-hmm. So I now I'm graduating and I'm approaching the job market and I'm like, okay, so I have an undergrad that's focused in economics and math. And then I have a graduate degree in mechanical engineering. I was like, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to create a resume for both. And the job that I get first <laughs> will be the direction I end up going. Interesting. So I left it up to to chance to kind of and and kind of the job market to kind of dictate where I ended up and fell in love with the culture at a startup in Hollywood. Um, And I just loved the culture. I saw myself fitting in there. I saw I liked my manager. I liked the projects that they were working on, the direction the company was moving. It was very um, it was very inviting to someone like me. And so it's I don't want to say that it happened by accident, but it like I didn't go out searching for it. It just kind of was like leveraging whatever skill sets I had. Um, and then from there, yeah, I don't wow, know. Wow, you, you did such a good job at keeping it like, uh, you know, not telling us. Like I, I'm sitting here like dying to know which one was it. Was it the mechanical engineer or the mathematics? Which one did Chance pick for you? What was What was oh. the startup involved in? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, so no, I ended up doing analytics. Um, oh, okay. So, so yeah, <laughs> I, I actually never worked a day in, in my life as a mechanical engineer. I just, I, I studied it and I thought, you know, maybe eventually it'll come, come, uh, like it'll come in handy. Um, I know there's a lot of companies right now in energy that are going towards like IOT, all the smart grid and stuff like that. I think that's, what I would have liked to do, but I think emphasizing more on the data side right now could actually be leveraged eventually into um, into that industry, anyways. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I started working um, as as, a, as an analyst, data scientist, um, picked up and filled the gaps of all of my knowledge um, with the machine learning stuff and the data visualization and and et cetera, et cetera, and then we get to where we are now. So. Um, was it hard to pick up all that knowledge, the data visualization and machine learning? Like, uh, how how long did that take you? And was was it was it a chore or was it more of an exciting path? So that's that's an interesting question. So for me, um, so graduating with a minor in stats and then I studied economics as well. They went over a lot of the fundamentals, right? So your linear regression, your logistic regression. Um, like dealing with literally every like year, I took at least two years of, of really understanding that stuff very well. Mm-hmm. And then you go into a company now that's focused on predictions and predictive analytics and you realize like, oh, wow, I just was not prepped for this at all. Like we didn't learn machine learning mm-hmm. in my, as a part of our curriculum. So 
gen- seeing that the company was gearing itself in that direction, I was like, wow, I really have a lot to learn. And so my way of learning and people who know me or interact with me um, locally, they know that the way to learn, at least for me, is to teach. Mm-hmm. And so I started teaching myself all like filling the gaps of all the things I needed to know and then hosting monthly machine learning meetups um, in L.A. where I would just basically talk about what I learned that month or like a project that I was working on that maybe people would be interested in hearing about. Um, I just took that on myself to make like basically and we go back to Rico. Oh, Rico. (laughs) You will forever be remembered for commit, fail, improve. Like, um, so I just by committing myself every month to a meetup that I had to get in front of people and talk to them about something machine learning related um, was was my way of just holding myself accountable for learning and then also integrating my learnings and my conversations into the projects that I was doing. So um, it, it definitely wasn't overnight. Uh, and I'm still learning. Um, so it's, it's what's great about being in this space as well is that, you know, you'll never learn everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but you can get proficient in like, you can be very good at, a, at, at several things and then know of many things, mm-hmm. but, um, but you'll never know everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I agree. And the way, you know, that, uh, I love that approach. Like, as you said, Rico with his reckless commitment, that, mm-hmm. that is so cool. Like to learn something, you commit to hosting or explaining it at a meetup and that forces you to learn. And mm-hmm. uh, so tell us, did that go well every time or were there times when, you know, you found that the challenge was too complex and you, you like just couldn't possibly learn it on time? That That's a good question. Um, For me, I always went with topics that were aligned with projects I was working on. Mm -hmm. And in the months that I knew I couldn't pull it off, I delegated. Mm. (laughs) I I chose a a victim from my company to to do (laughs) to do meetups. So so then it works out, right? Because I think that consistency. Because what I was trying to do is at the same time as learn myself was develop a community of people who could rely on each other and feel like that they were being supported. I feel like there was such a demand for it in Los An- in LA. Uh, every time that I held a meetup, I mean, the first one I did was in a coffee shop. Mm. It was at Coffee Bean. There was like maybe 30 people that showed up and I didn't know anything at that time. Wow. And I was like, oh, let's just pull up, you know, SK Learn has their nice diagram of um, all the different models. I was like, all right, guys, let's just pull up a model um, and then, you know, go learn it for 30 minutes and then come back and explain it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first meetup. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's crazy. 30 people sitting there staring and they're like, okay. That's, that's 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 so interesting wow and so and you do this through meetup.com yes i do okay wow and you still do it to this day till this day yeah so i moved out of la and and to 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 answer your question i yeah like i did feel like sometimes it was a struggle but i think having that commitment like oh 
a hundred or maybe a hundred people, 60, 60 to a hundred people are, are relying on me to, to follow through yeah. <laughs> on this. I better have something good for them. Yeah. Um, but once I moved out of LA and I moved to Irvine, Mobility Wear has been very, very gracious with allowing me to kind of keep that going mm-hmm. um, and providing us with pizza and a space and, and just all, all the accommodations. So it's been very, I've been very fortunate with not having to worry about a venue uh, in order to like host these and keep them consistent and build a, a good community. But next year, I think, uh, I might have help from, from one of our fellow data science influencers, uh, to help me keep the LA chapter and, and the Irvine chapter open and kind of expand the meetup and keep it going. So. Nice. Nice. Who's that? Who's the influencer? If you don't mind disclosing. Uh, it's, it's Randy. Randy, yeah. Randy's going, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Randy's great. That's so cool. Yeah. People love him. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's so excited for you. And uh, so Mobility Wear is the company where you work currently. Is that correct? Yes. Um, awesome. So tell us a bit about like what, what do you do there? What, what's your role? Because there's so many different ways, you know, companies use data science these days. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm, I'm the sole dedicated marketing analyst. So I do everything for our marketing team. Mm. Um, my job is a little bit, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, more than a full-time job, I would say, because I work across uh, all of our games, and we have three different suites of games, our card suite, our casino suite, social casino, and then we have puzzle. And each of them, it's very interesting, they're all in different stages of um, you know, of their like life cycles. So some of them are just starting out and we're trying to prove whether or not we need to like continue to sustain them and do UA for them, or they're like pretty much stable, right? Like our, our solitaire game, it's, it's been basically there for, for a very long time. And so the marketing strategies around our different games are very different. Um, mm-hmm. so sorry, so- I missed that. These are games for mobile phones, right? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So my job entails really surfacing data to our marketing team because bef- before I was here, um, I think that was a part of the struggle. So I get I touch every database that we own um, and consolidate and uh, really surface that to our team so that they can make better decisions. But then aside from that, I'm building out a lot of tools for them, like competitive benchmarking tools, creative optimization tools, um, different like campaign optimization tools. Um, which which will all be initiatives that I'll be running next year, but I'm, I'm and also working on now. Sometimes I get pulled into things to do with product, so understanding user behavior, developing user segmentation uh, models. Um, yeah, I, I kind of get to touch everything, which is which is nice about my role. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's cool. And you said you mentioned you're the sole um, marketing analyst in the company. Does that mean? Yeah, you were, you were mentioning that as well, like you before podcast that you thinking of expanding the team as well. Tell us a bit about yeah. that, like um, when because I also went through a similar situation where I after Deloitte I joined a company and I was the only data scientist for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be interested to hear your experience. Like, at what point do you um, realize that this uh, or the company realizes that this is beneficial? That there is value in having a data scientist on board let's start growing the team like what are your thoughts on that so i really think that it depends on the company and who's at the top 
right? Mm. And whether or not they see, uh, like, uh, and the reason why I say that is because I'm thinking about two different scenarios. Mm -hmm. So in one scenario, you build out tools and you basically prove your value through those tools, right? It's like I can basically I can show you that revenue is going up because of these models that I'm building and, you know, the the the, the campaigns that we're doing, the experiments that we're doing and and through ba basically having data scientists analyzing the data, building models, etc. Um, and so if it's very clear, like, oh, I can see the revenue, uh, lift, you know, as a result of, of having, um, having a data, data scientist on board, mm -hmm. then, you know, you don't really have much argument there. Mm -hmm. Um, in other companies, maybe it's a little bit harder to justify when there's no real, you can't point to like a revenue, <laughs> you know, you can't point to revenue and say, Hey, our revenue is increasing because I exist. Um, and, and from there, it's it's maybe it's a little bit of a harder discussion to have, but um, whether you can prove that through automation or you know optimizing what what domain experts are doing and and helping them do their jobs better, um, that's I mean a way to do it. I think on my end, I'll speak to my current job. Um, the tools that I've built out for marketing have just been uh, like amazing. Uh, they've th th their words. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> they've really uh, appreciated having someone dedicated to um, their needs and especially since we have a lot of um, budget allocated towards you know UA and and marketing in general it's it's the initiatives that I want to run next year are just too much for me to handle alone mm-hmm and so I, so I've, yeah, kind of pushed for maybe having someone on my team or having a few people on my team that we can all work towards, um, towards driving better decision making on on that side. So. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. So it's ultimately up to the data scientists to show the business value to make the case to make yep. it a, a no brainer decision for the business to go ahead. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Cool. Um, and could you give us a, an example, like a very interesting industry. I don't think anyone on the podcast has been, uh, like before talking about games and mobile phones and I, it's a, it's a massive, massive industry. There's a lot of games popping up all the time for mobile phones. Um, what, what is like a recent, um, project that you are proud of and that you're able to share with us some details, maybe some, some tool that you used or some approach or some some kind of like more industry specific use case of data science that you can uh, tell us about is there anything that comes to mind sure i have uh two in mind but uh, maybe i could speak to the one that just got um productionized recently mm -hmm. so but it doesn't deal with marketing it's more on the product side so sounds good a little <laughs> give us a little so, little um, insight into this world that'd be very cool so, um, so on the product side, we have a lot of users who come into our game and have some certain user behaviors. So for us, um, what we can do or what we want, what we're aiming towards is, is as much personalization within the game as possible, right? Because on our side, we want to create a good, a good user experience, um, whether, and, and, you know, uh, eventually some sort of purchase or some sort of engagement, mm -hmm. um, that. On our, so it's a win-win, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for us, I think one thing that we were hoping to do was really understand our users in terms of different segments. And so 
Um, I mean, most of our, our users uh, or listeners might know of like K-means. So doing a clustering um, model on our user segments. Um, and even though K-means isn't hard, really understanding what, uh, so, so the upfront on this is really understanding what features really needed to play into differentiating these different segments mm -hmm. um, in order to create really good, well-defined uh, segments that we can now create campaigns off of and develop these personalized um, like store configurations or messaging um, in order to create a better user experience. So um, the reason why I'm proud of that is because we just um, closed the loop in, um, in, our, in our data pipeline. So not that this model doesn't just exist on its own. And th this is something that I talked about in a recent um, article that I wrote, which is that most company, most businesses are suffering from the, the cold start of AI. They don't have that closed loop of like, you know, e whether it's the data infrastructure or whether it's taking the model output and actually using it. So what I'm excited about is the productionalization of my model. Mm. Um, which is now taking the output and it's pushing to a live environment where we can actually build these campaigns and do something with the model output rather than it sitting in a PowerPoint or yeah. <laughs> sitting on Jupyter notebooks or in a Python script somewhere, you know? Um, that's so yeah, really that's, cool. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Like uh, productization of data science outputs, it, it's a whole new world, right? We often think, okay, I've got the insights, I've got the, uh, like I've done the modeling, I've got the insights, here's the presentation, done. No, like that needs yeah. to go to the IT department or whoever else and that needs to be implemented that, you know, like it might be actually, ha you might have to reprogram it in a different language. You might have to, you know, create some sort of protocols for it to uh, talk to the existing uh, servers and infrastructure and it has to somehow be integrated. It has to be, it has to have its own window during uh, like the night when it'll be running, how often does it have to refresh? How do you maintain it? What who who works with the results? How do they integrate? Get integrated into company? That's like a whole new project on its own. And um, yeah, tell us a bit about like first of all, congratulations. That's that's a massive win. Um, but it would be really cool to hear like wh how, were you involved in like how how did you hand over this uh, part from you know like you created this K-means clustering algorithm, which I think actually pretty cool. Uh, approach to you know creating to a better user experience let's cluster our users and and find out you know what kind of groups do we have but then how did what how were you involved and what is the process like of ha taking what you created and handing it over to the uh, people responsible for productization of your um you know your development yeah, so I had to work really closely with our engineering team who were specifically building out this this process for us to essentially um, schedule the output. So my, my script runs every day mm -hmm. and I had to work with them to figure out, okay, so they came up with a wrapper that will essentially um, like take the output that I, like the script that I'm running and It'll wrap it within um, the, the the activation process that they have, and um, and then it'll push to a live environment. And so I had to work with them to understand a lot of what Git flow is, right? So I know how to use Git, Git, and I know very you know basics of like committing. But Git flow is a whole new world of like taking you through different environments. So from dev to test to stage to prod and 
really under like having them walk me through that and and working really closely with them so that you know when you're pushing to a live environment you don't want to break anything mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that you're testing every step of the way and you're you know doing QA on on your output every step of the way so um, learning that process um, we're, you know, working really closely with the engineers to help, you know, document that process so that we can, you know, ne the next time that we want to, you know, work on a project like this or a uh, productionalized output that it's, it's, um, that it's stable, um, and that it's easy to follow. Um, what else? I, th I think mostly the, the hardest part was really getting, uh, cause I was one of the first people to help like productionalize output through that process. So it's really like understanding how it is so that I can eventually teach our team um, and then working. So that was the engineering side of just getting it into with stakeholders. So the person who owned like the product, the PM for that, the uh, product manager for that, for that particular game, I had to work with them on developing, okay, well, what's the attribute going to be? How do you want it labeled? Like when you call it in, you know, your live environment, um, what, you know, like all the nitty gritty of, of what they need from their side. Um, yeah, wow. That's, that sounds like an involved job. Like how, how long did the project take you and how long did the productization take you? The project took me, um, I would say from scoping out the project to actually implementing and, and being done with the model, like maybe a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and then the productionization of it, um, also probably a couple of weeks so like in total probably around a month or so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interesting so the the productization takes uh as much as the product that, or as the project itself i think it was a little bit slower mm -hmm. only because i was learning that git flow process mm -hmm. um and really on the engine it was very engineering heavy so mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and being the first one doing it obviously there's hurdles i think second third time around that process will be much quicker mm -hmm. um if uh, if uh, you don't mind sharing why did you pick k-means clustering out of all the uh, available algorithms uh that's also a good question so i um i i was familiar with it um and it's 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 simple there's you know there's really nothing too complicated about it um, and so I think because I was familiar with it and because I needed to have such quick turnaround, um, it was, it was a project that I, it, it didn't necessarily, it wasn't my highest priority, but it was a priority. Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, can I get good results using K-means? And when I saw that it was performing pretty well and I was, I was getting, uh, results that seemed reasonable and that I could put into effect pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I was like, we're just going to run with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the way to go sometimes, right? Like yeah. it, it's fast, you get results, you know, the 80, yeah. 80, 20 rule, why would you spend, you already spent in total like a month on this project with the productization. Yeah. Why, why would you spend six months on it? If, if you can already implement something and get the results going. That's very exactly. really cool. That's very really cool. Um, okay. Well, thank you very much. That's a very interesting case study. I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners got a great uh, insight into this world and, uh, you know, especially this whole productization approach. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk something about something that um, I think we're both passionate about, and that is diversity. So when you were at Data Science Go, you spoke on the panel of uh, women in data science and... We had, we had an interesting chat about, uh, in general, how to 
enable empower more women to get into the space uh, just before the podcast i would love to for you to share your thoughts on this with our listeners if you don't mind uh on the importance of diversity yes please importance of sure. diversity and what what can we do as a, as a community of data scientists to you know help anybody with, regardless of their gender ethnicity background to be able to get into this space and and really benefits not ju- not just uh, like as an individual company but the community in general and you know bring those new ideas fresh perspectives insights into this community that we're building of data science sure so in terms of the importance um i think every company that wants to maximize the uh, the the production that it's making within its business and get the best ideas to come out and the best solutions to the problems that they're trying to solve would think would would think about diversity as one of the key factors that it would need to try and incorporate mm-hmm. and this has been proven um, time and time again where diverse teams will outperform non-diverse teams on like different approaches and and solutions to problems. So especially when we're dealing with um, like challenging and complicated problems that that involve the entire world at this point, right? We're trying to make solutions that affect everyone. Um, Having a team that that looks representative of who they expect their consumers to be would be important. Mm-hmm. So the one example that I that sticks in my mind and like forever since I heard it was um, a woman who worked at Google X when they were testing out their Google glasses. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, I um, I was you know, I'm on the, the panel to essentially test out the product and then come back a week later with feedback. And uh, she's like, yeah, so I took the glasses, I wore them for a week and then I came back to talk to the team about my feedback. And uh, her feedback was essentially, you know, like when I take the glasses off, it sticks to my hair, right? Mm. So like it, hair pulls out when I take it off. And the, the guys in the room were like, well, why don't you put your hair up? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, wait, hold on. Is, do, do we really think that that's the solution <laughs> or? <laughs> Uh, that's so funny that's so funny yeah so when you think about putting together a team and really creating products and solutions for like you know for for the masses you have to have a team of people and be open-minded and hear that feedback but be actually be willing to do something about it right Mm -hmm. um so so the importance part, I don't know that I need to argue too much. I know that we, we can all agree that the diversity is important, right? Yep. Um, why it's challenging is, um, is, is that it's, it's not very common yet. So, the, the, you know, whether it's the minorities or the women or, you know, even, even minorities of, of educational background, right? Um, you know, maybe someone who studied humanities who wants to get into data science or, you know, someone just doing something totally random that you wouldn't expect, right? Um, who's, who has an analytical focus and they want to get into it and, you know, this imposter syndrome that we talk about. And so I think everyone can share in this, this idea of, of that, that we're trying to figure out where exactly we fit in. 
Um, but by embracing our differences and by being okay with, you know, Hey, you have a different perspective than I do. And, and that's okay. And, and the reason why diversity helps is because when you think about it, when you get into a room and you see everyone that looks like you, you don't think that you need to like, um, press your point too much, right? You assume that everyone thinks like you. But when you enter a room and people don't look like you and you're like, wait, or, or you know that they come from different backgrounds, you're like, okay, I need to convince people of my point. And that's why the diverse teams work is because everyone's now talking about and like actually expressing um, their perspectives and now a discussion gets made about it. And then you arrive at the best solution. So um, within our community, I think what we can do is, is like, understand that that's our goal. Our goal is always the same, right? We're always aiming towards the same, the same goal that we want to achieve the best product. We want to build, um, uh, an inclusive community. And a lot of that is just, uh, embracing someone else's differences, you know, and being like, I know this is going to be hard. It's not diversity. doesn't just happen overnight and it doesn't, and it doesn't take no effort, right? It, it's hard. Um, and to accept someone who looks like you, thinks differently from you, et cetera, et cetera. So things that I've done uh, that, that I think that other people can do is just, you know, start these conversations. Uh, tell someone that they did well. Reassur re reassurance, like, hey, you did really well on that. That was really great. You know, like make people feel validated in what they're doing um, can go a lot like like as managers or as colleagues or as friends hey, you did really well on that. That was really impressive. Positive affirmations could go a long way. Um, mentorship can go a long way. Um, standing up for someone when you feel like they have no voice. You know, like sometimes, um, you know, depending on who's speaking in a room, you may listen to them differently. And so giving someone who otherwise maybe wouldn't step up and defend themselves, hey, you know, so-and-so, you had a very good point about X, Y, Z. Do you want to talk about it? You know, like, Helping support each other um, within teams and within the community could go a long ways. Uh, I did want to mention something that I'm doing is I started a mentorship program called GLAD. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it, it stands for something hilarious. My uh, creative team, <laughs> some guy on my creative team came up with the name. So it stands for Glamorous Ladies and Data. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's really smart. <laughs> But, you know, what's funny is that I don't want it to be geared just towards women, right? Yeah. Um, I want it to be a very inclusive environment where we can just work together and develop a supportive community. Um, but, yeah, it's essentially just that. It's, it's bringing people together and just building up confidence and reassuring people and helping them through, um, you know, a, a lot of – sorry, I'm going to go on a tangent. But a lot of what data science is, it's, it's the technical side. But it's also a very like emotional journey, right? Yeah, 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 totally. So when you realize you're helping someone through their journey into data science, it's not just, hey, let me help you find the best models or let me help you like with resources. It's also a lot of like reassurance. It's, it's that emotional side of like, oh, the imposter syndrome. Do I feel like I belong here? Like maybe I'm not qualified, maybe this isn't what I should be doing. And it's, it's really helping people build that confidence regardless of, of who they are, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree with you. And thank you very much for that um, very inspiring 
talk and, and also good, good suggestions. So positive affirmations, mentorships, standing up for someone, even just saying, hey, like, what do you think about this? Um, I want to add to that what we talked about just before the podcast were uh, role models. Role models are super important. And um, the whole, like, it's really hard for somebody for like, for instance, uh, a woman to get into data science when they don't see that many data science. When you, when uh, they see like women see that there's only 10% on average of data scientists are, are female, then that's what you will get in terms of people entering the field. We want to improve that. And so yeah. the the best way to do this is to show that there are actually lots of successful women who are enjoying being in the field of data science. And that doesn't mean you have to be like the best data scientist in the world. All you have to do is just like show up, you know, go to a meetup and be present. And that will show people or show uh, women who are st- want to get into data science will show that you're there. You're, you're a successful woman in data science or, you know, like maybe... Invite uh, invite somebody to uh, to a talk or try to present at a talk and and like kind of things like that. So just yeah. um, more publicity in that space for women will attract other women into this space. That's that's uh, kind of my thoughts on uh, how we can help in this in the sense of uh, role models. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. We've come to. Uh, our time limit on the show thank you so much for coming and sharing all these insights totally love the chat it was uh, lots of fun exploring your background <laughs> before before i let you go um what would you say are the best places for our listeners to get in touch with you contact you and follow you and your uh, interesting career see what you get into in the in the years to come yeah, I think LinkedIn has definitely been that one platform where, I mean, where we're developing all of our, you know, ne- our network in mm-hmm. data science. So LinkedIn is probably the best way. I'm not really active on Twitter yet. So mm-hmm. gotcha. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. And um, yeah, guys, so uh, listeners on the podcast, uh, Sarah has 23,000 23, followers. So make sure to join all the people are benefiting from the um, things you're sharing. By the way, Sarah, I had a look at your recent article, Creativity and Data Science. Very, very interesting. I, I also like the talk by Sir Ken Robinson on TED, and I like how you, um, you know, incorporated his ideas in, uh, into data science and the, the whole notion about creativity. So I highly recommend for others to check it out as well. Thank you. Um, okay, and uh, I have one final question for you. What is a book that you can recommend to our listeners to help empower their careers? Okay, so I am reading this book currently. It's called, um, which you've probably read it, How to Win Friends and Influence People Mm, mm -hmm. um, by Dale Carnegie. You've read it, right? Yeah, amazing book. Like, I think that after reading that book, and I just put up a post not that long ago, um, maybe last week, talking about like the importance of human relations and especially me who's like thinking about the future and where things are headed. I think understanding um, how to deal with people and especially when you get up uh, in the ranks as a manager or a director and you're dealing more with the human side and less on the very technical nitty gritty side and especially with things getting automated the way they are. um, I think that People should be looking towards improving their communication skills and looking towards, you know, 
how, how do they improve the relations with people and their human skills? So that's one that I would say, you know, if you ask me tomorrow, you know, next week, maybe I'll have a different book. But <laughs> <laughs> I think um, if you're thinking holistically about the data science space and, you know, um, of, of different skills that you should have and you think about a well-rounded data scientist, I think this is definitely a book that everyone should read. Fantastic. And that book can help you not just in data science, but in all other yeah. aspects of life as well. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Amazing having you on the show today. And uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing all those wonderful insights. Thanks. I had such a great time. So there you have it. That was Sarah Nuravi. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And my personal favorite part was how open Sarah was, how positive this episode turned out and how many laughs we had that that was very exciting very very fun and you can tell right away that most likely Sarah is extremely successful in uh, presentation skills and communication and no wonder Sarah recommended the book how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie I think we all as humans can pick up some interesting tips and ideas from there as always, you can find all the show notes for this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 227. That's superdatascience.com slash 227. There you'll find all of the materials that we mentioned on the show, including the URL to Sarah's LinkedIn. Make sure to connect, make sure to follow Sarah and get all these interesting updates and insights that she'll be sharing in the near future so make sure to forward this episode to somebody you care about and somebody you want to inspire and on that note i look forward to seeing you here next time until then happy analyzing <laughs>